Thank you for being here today. Um, we are so delighted that you are here, and we're delighted that Carrie has this day away to kind of refresh herself and to be fed where she worships. So um, we're going to pick up kind of where Carrie left off last week, um, and Jody has prepared for us this beautiful table of bread. I don't know if you know that the universal food that all cultures throughout all time participate in is bread. And so today we have bread that comes from Ethiopia. Don't ask me to pronounce it, but you have to come try it. It's got a sour taste to it. It's quite thick, but it's really cool. Um, we have French bread in the French bread and the croissants. We have European bread. Um, we have Mexican bread. We have Jewish bread, some more European um, bread, and some more Middle Eastern bread. And then we have American bread um, and some flat bread. And for those of you that can't have gluten, we even have gluten-free bread for you. So come up after the service, um, except for the one that has the little napkin on it because that's already been spoken for for dinner. But come and taste some of this bread. Um, Carrie talked to us about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and, and taking that bread. And her overarching theme for her messages are the living word and how the living word in the details is telling us something about himself, Jesus, as he speaks to us. And so he was telling many things about himself last week, um, and he con Carrie connected the idea that the living word is also the bread of life. And so after he had fed them, his table had to have more bounty to it than even ours, though it all looked like probably the five loaves of barley bread that was brought. And then he sent the people off, and he sent his disciples back from Bethsaida. They were in Bethsaida when he did the feeding of the 5,000 on the map there. And he sent them by boat across to Capernaum. And he went away by himself in the mountains to refresh himself because he had given so much of himself to the people and to spend time with his father. And during the middle of the night, he went across by walking on water, remember that story? And the disciples were all freaked out because they thought there was a ghost. And um, Anyhow, he caught up with them on the boat and made their way to Capernaum. The next morning, all these crowds that had been fed by his food when he fed the 5,000 had all started coming looking for him. And they'd heard that he'd returned to Capernaum. So all these boats went over to Capernaum, and they were even taking people from Tiberias, which is halfway down there. They were all on their way to Capernaum to connect with Jesus and to meet up with them. And when they get to the other side at Capernaum, John 6 tells us this. When they re reached there, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered them, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because of the miraculous sign you saw, but because you ate of the loaves of bread and had your fill. Do not work for the food that spoils, 
but work for the food that endures for eternal life, the bread of life that my Father gives to you. He has sent the Son of Man to you. And on that one, God the Father has put his seal of approval. So they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works of God? Have you ever asked that question? What must I do to do the works of God? We always seem to have this sense within us that there's something that I have to do, right, to earn. Jesus very quickly, once and for all, put an end to that when he said this. This is the work of God. Believe in the one who he sends. Believe in the one whom he sends. Rabbi, how did you get here so quickly? And what are you doing here? And Jesus says to them, you're only looking for me because you're hungry. See, there's different kinds of hunger, is there not? There are the flesh hungers of food and bread that we all enjoy. There are the worldly hungers of the things that drive us for success or to have friendships and relationships or other things that drive us. There is a worldly hunger, is there not? You see, Jesus really wasn't speaking of the worldly hunger. He was using bread as an entrance into speaking and addressing to them their spiritual hunger. We're going to ask you to watch a clip by Florence Plus the Machine called Hunger. It'll be very obvious to you, the worldly hungers. But I want you to watch closely and see if you can identify some images that refer us to the spiritual hunger. Did you pick up any images that showed you the spiritual hunger that we have? Anyone see? There was a hand with a nail mark in it in the midst of that. There was also a statue of a body that had the hole in the side. We all have a hunger and there are two kinds of hungers and two worlds that clash for our hunger. Satan slithered into the garden that day and he said to Adam and Eve, are there any trees you can't eat of? And he began a conversation that had them Contemplating, is there another hunger that I have? And when he gave them the fruit and they ate from it, they opened up a world of hunger for fleshly things. 
They opened up a world of bondage that we are all a part of. And we hunger for things that we hope will fill us, our loneliness or starving ourselves so that we have an image that will resonate with our peers. Or looking for prestige or money, things that drive us in our hunger so that we can live in the fleshy world that tempts us. We all have a hunger. But the question is for us today, which hunger drives us? It is, is it the hunger for the world and the fleshly things? Or is it a hunger for Jesus? We all have a hunger. The kingdom of the world is identified by this question and its answer. What is enough that will satisfy you? And the answer to that question is it's never enough. There's always one more thing. There's always that next thing. This worked for a while, but now it's worn off. You came because you ate of the loaves of bread and had your fill. But the next morning, the hunger was back. And now you're looking for me, Jesus said, because I satisfied your hunger with bread. And you missed the signs of who I am and the hunger I can satisfy. You see, there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of the world, which is flesh. And there is the kingdom of God, which is a spiritual kingdom. And Jesus said, I have come to satisfy that spiritual hunger that you have. Don't eat of the food that's going to spoil, but eat of the food that will endure forever and bring you eternal life. We all have a hunger. What is it that we are to do they asked, to do the works of God. What miracles can you show us so that we will know who you are and believe in you? What will you do for us? Our fathers, they ate manna in the desert. As the scripture says, he poured out the bread from heaven on them. And Jesus answered them and said, I tell you the truth. It was not Moses who gave you the bread of heaven, but it was my Father who gives the true bread. And the one who comes to bring eternal life, that is the true bread from heaven. Give us this bread, Rabbi, so that we can eat and be satisfied. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever drinks from me will never be thirsty. He was referring, we know, 
back to Exodus. Do you remember that story in Exodus that God had taken his people out of Egypt and brought them through the Red Sea, that dramatic event of crossing the Red Sea. They're like the seas in front of them and the whole army of Egypt is behind them. They're like, and God opened the waters and they walked through. And he had sent them out of Egypt, if you remember. He had convinced the people of Egypt that they needed to leave and to give them all kinds of things for their journey to go with them. So they left with a lot of provisions from Egypt, including food. But once they had been there for a while, they had eaten all the food they would taken from Egypt, and then they began to grumble. You see, the kingdom of the world is marked by grumbling and whining and we're never satisfied. And so they're out there in the desert, and they're like, why did you take us out here so we could die? Why didn't you just leave us in Egypt? We had it better, even though they were slaves and they were being beaten. They had it better. Why did you take us out here? And so Moses goes to God, and he says, God, these are your people. I don't know why you gave them to me, but you did. And so you do something to feed them. And even in their grumbling, God does something. If you remember from Exodus 16, we're going to read 11 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp, and when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? You know, that's what manna really means, is what is it? For they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded you. Each one of you is to gather as much as he needs. Now I wonder, I'm kind of thinking like, okay, when they say that, and we don't know what this little flakes are, gather as much as you need. How would you know how much to gather? So some of them gathered little, but it was enough for them. And some of them gathered too much, but it was enough for them. Each one had whatever they needed from what they gathered. Now to me, that's pretty amazing. Each one had enough. They were satisfied. Whatever they'd gathered, God provided for them enough to satisfy them. And then God said this to Moses in verses 32 and 33. This is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna and keep it for generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and then put it before the Lord to be kept for the generations to come. Take a 
some of this and always keep it so that you remember that God provides for us. Put it as a witness in the testimony. At the time, there was no ark of the covenant or no temple. Eventually, it would make its way to the Ark of the Covenant, and it would sit in there along with the Ten Commandments that God, the two tablets that God had given to them, and the budding staff of Aaron. And it was always to serve as a witness to remember what God did. Now, when they are in the desert and they're hungry, we have to remember that this was a storytelling nation. They didn't have things written down for them, right? So they told stories constantly to each other to remember things. So in the desert, when they were grumbling, they all knew the story of Abraham and how God provided and brought him. They knew the story of Isaac and Jacob, and they knew the story of Joseph, how God had thrown, had, how Joseph had been thrown in prison and in God's faithfulness, he was brought out. And how God used the gifts of Joseph in his time to prepare him for the time of famine and to become a leader in the Egyptian courts. They knew the stories of God's faithfulness, even when times were hard. And yet they grumbled. Why did you bring us out here, God, to die? The crowd that Jesus spoke to that day, they knew those stories too. They also knew the stories of David and Esther and Ruth. They knew the stories of Daniel. They knew the story of Mary. You see, God asks us to gather what we need in our lives so that we can remember his faithfulness. Your stories, in addition to the stories that we read from Scripture, speak to the faithfulness of God in your lives, correct? And you have stories in your family that have been brought up through generations, and maybe stories in your family now that you remind each other in times when you're struggling of God's faithfulness and the trust that you have in God. Harry's mom and dad lived in the Netherlands during Nazi Germany. His mom and dad were a part of the Underground Railroad in getting Jews out of Germany. Harry and I have been there. They had a bicycle business and a, a small home above the bicycle business. And in there, his parents' bedroom was a false wall with an area behind it that they could hide. Someone in their town told the Nazis that Harry's folks were hiding people in there. Probably because they were threatened of what would happen to their families if they didn't reveal it. And so Harry's dad was arrested and brought to a concentration camp. That was before Harry was born. So you know that there was a God provided for him there, and he came home from the concentration camp. Fast forward with me to November 9, 
1989. Some of you will remember that what was happening at that time was that Reagan had told them to take down that wall. Remember that? And there was all kinds of activity around Brandenburg Gate about when and the news just parked themselves were there. Would they come through that wall at the gate? That's where it was expected to be. Harry and his cousin had gone to the Netherlands for a family anniversary of his uncle, who he's named for. Our kids were in middle school, and he had asked them before they left, what can I get for you while I'm there? And they said, we want T-shirts from Hard Rock Cafe. Do you remember T-shirts? Do they still have Hard Rock Cafe and T-shirts? So after they had stood at the Brandenburg Gate for a while, he said to somebody that was there, is there a place near here that they have a Hard Rock Cafe so I can get T-shirts for my kids? They said, yeah, just follow that wall down along. So he and Stan began, to, and, the, and his cousin that was from the Netherlands that was acting as a host, began that walk down. And suddenly they, there was this noise. And they looked up. And they stood there and they watched the bulldozer break through the Berlin Wall. Harry, quickly thinking, gave one of the guards, one of the soldiers, some money and asked him if he would give them pieces of the wall. This is the part of the Berlin Wall where it, they broke through. For many, for Jews, it is a sign of the horrible reign and terror of Hitler. For our family, this is a sign of God's faithfulness. I truly believe that God intended for Harry and Stan to stand at that wall when it broke through. As a sign of the faithfulness that he had for this family, whose faith led them to follow God wherever he led them. And whatever that looked like. This is a part of our family's story. If you watch a documentary on the Berlin Wall and the knocking down of the wall, you will find Harry on the document. He does anything to get attention, right? <laughs> Gather what you need so that you do not forget the Lord your God. You see, there is the battle yet between the clash of the world of the flesh, consumerism, where there's always the next thing, and it's never enough. And there is a battle between that world and the kingdom of God, which satisfies and gives us the bread for life. But we need to gather because we all know that even though the war has been won, the battle rages, 
And I can tell you in my own life that there was a period of time where it took everything I had for almost two years to get up every day. And to depend on God's faithfulness. And if I wouldn't have gathered in my life the places where God had led us through safely, the hard places and the hard times where you wondered and where God continued to feed you and grow your faith, you see, all we need to do is trust in His provision, trust in His faithfulness. So maybe there's a place for you right now where you like feel like God is really squeezing you. Gather what you need to remember the faithfulness of God. When Chad was real little, about two years old, we were building a new home and we were renting this house that was fairly small and there was a step from the kitchen to the entryway. And he fell down that one day. Any other parents in here who your kids have done something and they're hurting and they're screaming and they've cut themselves and I had to take him to get stitches. And he is not happy about this idea that he has to have stitches. And he's not happy with me having to hold him down so that they can give him the shot and do the stitches. And he's screaming at me, Mommy, why are you doing this? Sometimes in my life, I feel like that with God. Like, God, why are you doing this? Because in this world, Jesus said, you will have problems. You will have struggles. And even though the war is won... Satan is not giving up easily. And he's going to continue to fight. And God says, take what you need. Gather what you need. And whatever you gather will be enough. You see, the really cool thing about all of this story was when they came because they were hungry for food, Jesus didn't send them away. He met them at that hunger. He took the bread that day and he broke it. And miraculously, he kept breaking it until there was enough for everyone there. He said, this is the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I don't know where you are. I don't know if this is a good place for you or if you're in the desert. Wherever you are, whatever you need, Jesus will meet you there. You pray with me, please. Lord, we give you thanks and praise that you are our bread. And it doesn't matter to you if we're coming out of a fleshly need, out of loneliness or despair 
or health issues or unfairness in our lives or bullying or whatever it is, Lord, that brings us to you. You gather us in and you feed us the bread of life. Sometimes, Lord, that feeding takes a while for us to see your hand at work. Sometimes our relief is such that we see and know and trust. But whatever we come with, whatever we bring, it's enough for you to say, come, just believe in me, just trust in me. So, Lord, today we lift up our voices wherever we are, even if it's hard to praise you today, just being here and lifting our voices praise to you. And it's praise that's sweet in your ears. And we come to you and we lift our praise to the living bread. And God, God's people said, Amen.